Happy New Year, and welcome to Story Radio, the home for readers, writers, and lovers of short stories everywhere. Today, we're going to listen to Ardi Mouton's Left Watching. Left Watching, a folklore adaptation by Ardi Mouton, read aloud by Ardi Mouton. The Beginning. Four men walk together in a wood. They have known each other for a long while, but this is the first time since childhood, over a decade away now, that they've all been able to gather in the same place. They grew up together in a village nearby, but three of the men have been away for a long time, pursuing prestigious careers in science within the walls of cities like Paris, Oxford, and Berlin. Together again at last, it feels wonderful for the men to share the narrow dirt path with each other, finally able to trade stories about the lives they've begun to lead in these fantastic places far, far away. The fourth man of the group never left the village, however. His father was a farmer, and his father's father was a farmer too. He himself has found farming to be a thoroughly enjoyable and profoundly peaceful way of life. He hasn't yet found a reason to consider doing anything else, either. The three further-traveled men live where they do in these places far away, because such places are widely known to be at the forefront of scientific advancement in their respective areas of pursuit. That's not to say that each man is lacking in a broad academic knowledge, however. All three of them have been called chemists, botanists, scientists, philosophers, astronomers, deep thinkers, alchemists, surgeons, anatomists, or phenomenologists at different points of their careers in addition to their usual titles in regard to each one's particular specialty. Each man likewise prefers the title of scholar over more specific designations, like master physicist and premier botanist, however, as this doesn't incorrectly imply that their achievements are limited to one subject in particular. The friends are delighted by the small reunion they've created in the wilderness. They find they have endless things to tell each other as they meander through the lush foliage surrounding them. The scientists talk often among themselves, of course, typically in regard to the most recent and exciting work in academia, but they also take great care to ensure their fourth friend is not left out of the conversation. He is, after all, just as witty as the rest, and they all find agriculture and animal husbandry to be areas of surprising interest. The young men walk for hours, talking and laughing, appreciating the steady breeze that's persisted generously through the afternoon. They wander deep into the wood, then come across a large clearing in an area they don't feel totally familiar with. In the center of the clearing, they see something in the dirt. It seems to be a great big pile of bones. The men go over to investigate, and as they stand over the bones, one of them speaks up. Hmm, he says, a hand on his chin. What is it? says another. Yes, so it's just that well. I believe my studies might enable me to arrange these bones correctly. To return them to their proper form, I mean. The men consider this, but before they can say anything, their friend is bent over the pile, turning over and dusting off bones of various sizes, sorting them by shape and function until... He stands back up again. He's finished. He dusts his hands with a clap and says with a flourish, There you are, an Asiatic lion. Truly, 
That's exactly what it is. Lying on the ground in front of the four men is the skeleton of a very, very large cat, and there isn't a piece missing. Peculiar, a man says. Hmm, says another. What is it? asks a third. Well, the scholar replies, I was just thinking that perhaps my studies might allow me here and now to put the flesh back on these bones. Really? The farmer says. The man doesn't answer, but instead goes straight to work. He bends over the skeleton and begins to touch different points on the bones with his hands. A thin walled glass vial comes from his pocket, which he cracks over the ribcage, spreading a fine granular substance all around. A small, amorphous lump of dull metal is produced, which melts into an ooze when rubbed against the bones. It drips off in thick globs, and the man sticks his hands into the goo, seeming far too copious now to be produced entirely by the pocketable piece of metal, and he begins to make things. Cells appear, which arrange themselves curiously into membranes, fantastically in organ forms wherever his hands go, each one a special shape, a special color, ranging widely from blood-rich carmines into several wan, bloomy pinks. The intestines there, the liver there, the man's hand goes toward the head of the beast, and an eye pops into its socket. Next is the heart, spleen, and lungs, which are all quickly covered by layer after layer of dense, bulging muscle lashed in place by strings of white ligaments. Fat stuffs its way into every crevice. The body is covered by veins, by nerves, and then pale white skin that begins to sprout hair in tufts, which grow and grow, covering the whole animal in dense golden fur, complete with a thick, sprawling mane. The man stands and wipes his hands on his cloak. On the ground now is the greatest spectacle the men have ever seen, the corpse of a bona fide lion, unaltered by preservation, but somehow entirely unblemished by decay. Wow, a man says. Well done, says another, trying to hide his amazement. Hmm, says a third. What? someone asks. Oh, it's nothing, he replies, staring at the body that lies upon its side. Oh, another man says. Well, continues the third man, a scholar. I can't help but wonder if, if what? Well, I think that truly my studies might enable me to bring this lion back to life. They're all stunned into silence. The man goes over to the lion. He might as well get started, he thinks. He kneels down, raises his right hand, then puts it on the lion's side. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! A man cries out. It's the farmer. Yes, the kneeling academic says, mildly perturbed by the interruption. The other two academics look at him, also slightly annoyed. Well, the farmer says, discomforted by the number of unhappy eyes on him. I'm not so sure that's a good idea, is all. The men burst into laughter. Oh, quiet, one of them replies. You're simply jealous you haven't been afforded a quality university education. The other men find this wildly hilarious and laugh again. Fine, the farmer says, embarrassed. 
Enjoy your experiment. He leaves the men who take no notice. Just before he leaves the clearing, he turns back and decides to climb halfway up a tree nearby. Meanwhile, the two scholars stand above the corpse, watching the third who places his hand on the lion's side once more. Gently, he pushes the side of the lion into itself. Slowly, the carcass springs back, and the man's hand rises. He repeats this process several times. His hand rises, then falls, rises, then falls. He puts another hand on the lion and moves it in the same way. His hands rise and fall and rise and fall over and over and over. The scholar takes his hands away, yet the side of the lion does not come to rest. It continues to rise and fall. It rises and falls, then rises and falls again when the legs of the animal extend, stretch, then fold themselves underneath its body. Next, the head moves. It comes up lazily almost equal to the height of the men who are stooped over in amazement. Finally, the lion opens its eyes, revealing huge emerald green irises the size of chicken eggs. The lion looks drowsily to the left. Then its head swings over to the opposite way. Lastly, it looks at the men directly, which makes each one of them realize something terribly important. This lion had not eaten anything for a very, very long time. In three quick swipes, the men are taken to the ground. The jaws of the beast descend onto their necks and crush each one in quick, merciful succession. The men are eaten cleanly to the bone. The lion licks the viscera from its face and paws, then stands, stretches, and disappears into the forest satisfied. It's at this point, the fourth man finally descends his tree and slowly begins the long walk home. The end. That was Left Watching by R.D. Mouton, and we'll have another amazing short story for you in a month's time. If you're a writer and would like to submit to us, please visit storyradio.org and look for the submissions page. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you and goodbye.